0: The train disaster in East Palestine, Ohio, has put the spotlight on the deadly greed of capitalists in the transportation industry. Over and over again, corporations in this crucial industry have cut corners and neglected the most basic safety concerns with disastrous consequences. And yet, they are still among the biggest recipients of U.S. government assistance. We are very excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy and the state of the working class. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week, thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you, if you're not now, to become a patron today if you enjoy listening or relying on this show or both. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's r-d-w-o-l-f-f.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. I'm glad to be here. Well, the train wreck in Ohio and the, you know, the attendant, terrible environmental disaster for especially working class communities in that area. That got big news and everybody thought, of course, well, we have to avoid that from happening again, especially when one considers that the braking system used by the freight rail companies is from the Civil War era but things are actually going in the opposite direction, Professor Wolf. And at the same time, the US government, which subsidizes rail, subsidizes the rail capitalists and the airlines and other important vehicle or transportation systems in in the US, the idea here is that they're gonna get more money. They're gonna be rewarded for their failure. And just to contextualize this before you get started, I want to read a little bit from The Lever. The Lever is an important newsletter produced by David Sirota. The Lever has done great work exposing how the politicians are bought and paid for by the rail companies, the rail capitalists, and how, as a consequence, they've nixed important regulations that would fix the problem or problems. Here's uh, from The the Lever. In 2015, as the rail industry was fighting to block an Obama-era rule that would have required railroad companies to use electronic braking technology on some hazmat, that's hazardous material trains, Vox published an ad from AAR, that's the freight industry lobby group, touting their relentless approach to safety, one in which good is never enough. Those are the words of the ad. But just before the 2016 election, the Washington Post published branded content from the same lobbying group and from the president. And it warned in this ad and it looked again, Richard, the ads look like they're actual news stories. A key task for the new president and Congress must be to put the brakes on a federal agency whose regulatory actions are needlessly placing one of the nation's core industries at risk, close quote. And then as soon as they took office, the Trump administration did indeed repeal the electronic brake requirement in 2017. Now, Richard, this is obvious corruption. It's politicians being bought and paid for. The real risk comes to working class communities and to rail workers. And yet the government keeps rewarding these same capitalists. Let's talk about it.
1: Okay. I mean, the, the central concept here for people to understand goes by the name regulatory capture. And what that means is that in our economic system, in the capitalist system, it is a regular, routinely repeated experience that government agencies established to regulate industries are captured by the industries they're supposed to regulate. Usually what happens is that a disaster like the one in East Palestine happens. There's a call by the victims, their families, their communities, and a horrified nation, do something about this. And the first effort is to appeal to the companies, but pretty quickly reasonably intelligent people point out That these companies did not take the steps needed to prevent this horrible accident. Why are we trusting them to do any different in the future? So then the cry goes up, okay, let's get the government to set up a commission to regulate this industry and to impose on it the rules and regulations they should have, And they could have done themselves, but they're not reliable. They didn't do it. That's why we have accidents. And I should point out that we have rail accidents many, many, many times every year. There's nothing new. There's nothing exceptional. This is a horrible failure of our system. What naive people don't understand is for the corporations, involved, they don't want the government to impose anything on them. They don't want to spend a nickel more on safety than they are already doing. They may put out ads about how they are lovely and they are really concerned about safety, but that's all they are, cheap words. The problem is this. Every nickel they take away from their business to do something that's safe is a nickel less of profit. There it is again. There's a conflict between spending the kind of money you need to assure safety versus taking money out of the pool that makes up your profit. And as every company that's honest will tell you, they're in business to make a profit. Profit is the bottom line profit is what we seek to maximize. Profit is what gets us a good reputation and builds the career of the executive. Lower profits threatens the career of the executive and makes everybody nervous. So if they have to choose between profit and any other expenditure, including for safety, they go for profit nine times out of nine. And that's what you have to recognize had happened here. And we know it. We know how hard these companies work to prevent and neutralize rules and regulations. Look, last uh, summer, President Biden and the Democratic Party forced railway workers who had voted to go on strike, forced them by threat of imprisonment and fines, forced them to go back to work. The right to strike was taken away, having been won by the working class in this country decades ago. The right to strike was denied. And what were the workers striking for? They wanted a handful of sick days to be less exhausted, less stressed, and therefore, of course, safer people running the railroad. The companies didn't want it, And the president did, as they usually do, what the companies wanted, not what the workers needed, and not what the communities needed, i.e. safety. So no one should be surprised the railroads look upon these commissions as just one more obstacle to work around, to evade, to weaken, to eliminate, as in the ad you read at the beginning of today's program. That's all they do. They hire an army of lawyers and lobbyists. They give donations to the right politician at the right time to get what they want. Prevent the regulation, that can that can work for years. Okay, now you've finished with that, you lost that finally, maybe because of a horrible accident, and though now you have a regulation. Okay, you now have to capture the regulatory commission. Get to them one way or another with donations, with lobbyists, with public relations, with everything you can think of to get an exception to the rule, to get an exemption from the rule, to get the suspension of the rule, if you're lucky, to get an amendment or the repeal of the rule. And you do it relentlessly, and you let people know that if they're friendly to you, you'll help them with their next election, and if they're not, you won't. That's what happens it happens across the board in this country whether we're talking a transportation commission for railroads or a utility commission for the electric company or the insurance commissions every state has to try to control the insurance company we have to have government regulation because every industry in capitalism does what it says it maximizes profit and it cut corners about safety and many other things that we the people need, we suffer. We don't get it because they're in charge and for them the number one priority, as they tell us, is the profit system that they work under. And so for us the regulatory doesn't work because it's captured by the industry. And let me conclude by giving two examples. Both of these come from the Democratic Party because Both at the national level and in the state of New York, they're the party in power. So Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, it's his job to supervise. He's the chief regulatory person in the transportation area. So this is his bailiwick. He wasn't on the job. He didn't inspect these trains. He didn't inspect the tracks. He wasn't even able to talk much about it in the immediate aftermath, but then, as the pressure began to build, we heard all about his threats, and he blamed the Republicans of Mr. Trump, the usual game of the politician, which is first and foremost, I'm completely innocent, somebody else is the bad guy. The last thing we need is that kind of BS when you didn't do your job. But I like even more Governor Hoschel here in New York State. She issued a statement, I think it was last week, about how her administration in Albany, the capital of New York, is, and I'm quoting now, laser focused on safety. Well, you know, when you say something stupid like that, you deserve the criticism and the laughter that you get. She had repealed, in the interests of the railroad companies, She had opposed and repealed a variety of legislations in the short time that she's been the governor. She replaced Andrew Cuomo, who got caught doing other inappropriate, if not illegal, things. Here she is, failed in her job, failed to inspect, overall helping the railroads from here to Sunday. And then she goes out of her way to pretend that she's not just as culpable in New York as the authorities of Ohio were culpable, as Buttigieg was culpable, in not doing their job, because the railroad industry can spend the money, vast amount of money, lobbying them, donating to them, going to court in very expensive suits against them money that if you had spent it to make the railroad safer would have been much better spent. But we don't work that way in a capitalist system. We allow these companies to do what they do. And then every time it blows up in our faces, we're back at square one having to talk to each other about how our effort to regulate these profit-driven companies has been captured by them to turn it into the opposite of what we all intended. Richard, last
0: week when we were talking with you about a related topic, you made the point that the railroads were built by private railroad companies, but the highway system, the roads, not the railroads but the roads after World War II were picked up by the government, that the government paid for it and then Private auto companies were then able to market their product, cars, to a mass audience that in the past had not owned cars. So you had General Motors, Ford, Chrysler in particular, the three auto manufacturers who had, you know, survived all of the sort of the earlier big fish eat small fish sort of competition within the auto industry. So these three auto giants came into existence. And I can remember growing up that the U.S. government always sort of pointed to Detroit, to the auto industry, to say, this is proof that the private capitalist entrepreneurial system, the free market, so to speak, was really a system that worked. Tens of thousands of workers got, by relative standards, decent paying jobs. It was a profitable industry, et cetera, et cetera. You pointed out last week, well, they really couldn't have been doing any of that without the roads. And we, the taxpayers, the government paid for the roads. Okay, I'm gonna skip ahead. Now, in 2008 and 2009, when the Wall Street capitalist Great Recession happened, the meltdown on Wall Street, the US government came in and bailed out those same companies. They bailed out General Motors. General Motors was finished, it was bankrupt. Same with Ford. And they bailed them out, they canceled union contracts illegally, But they gave those companies government monies in order to keep them afloat. So Obama said, we saved the auto industry and indeed the government did save the auto industry. Now there's next economic crisis comes along, the one associated with COVID and you have excellently pointed out, you can call it the COVID economic crisis, but you might call it the third capitalist economic crisis in the last 20 years. And at that time, the US government gave airlines because people weren't flying. $37 billion in government handouts. Now, when you look at this history and the role of government with private industry, one could come to the conclusion that since the regulations don't work, the other path would be to nationalize these industries. Like, you know, you have trains in the West, Richard, freight trains that have two or three crew members and those trains, some of them are 11,000 feet long. That's more than two miles of freight train. Now, those workers, they take care of the train. But at the end of the day, these capitalist investors who have nothing to do with that train running, they make the profits. We could, in fact, nationalize them. Now, people might say, well, that's socialism. But actually, you can have a nationalization within the confines of a bourgeois capitalist economic system. It's not necessarily the socialist mode of production. Let's just talk about that as a feasible alternative. It seems remote, but so do all ideas until people fight for
1: them. Yes, you know, and this habit of calling something socialist, I find that kind of funny. It's the logical thing to do if you want to make sure that the railroads, just to pick on them because that's what we started with today, if you want to make sure the railroads are safe, if you really mean it, that you want safety to be your number one concern, which all of these corporations lie in their advertising to that effect, if you really want it rather than have it be a lie, then you can't do it with with a capitalist system because the capitalist is in the business to make money. All the rewards to capitalists depend on how much profit they have, not how safe they are. No one cares in the end. If you're profitable, you're a winner. If you're not profitable, you're a loser. And if you explain, well, I didn't make my profit this year because I spent a lot on safety, you'd be fine. In all of these companies. That's the way it is. So if you want to solve it, yeah, nationalize it because the government can actually say, we will make safety more important than profit because we don't have to be in the profit business because we're not a capitalist company. Now, if you want to call that socialism, be my guest, because what you're doing, whether you intend it or not, is you're pointing out that socialism, in this case nationalizing the railroad, is the better way to go. You're giving socialism a very positive plug, even though your intent is to stop people thinking and discussing and debating a good solution because you're so afraid that they will come to the conclusion that the socialist approach, the state to have the state run it in the interests of what people care about, which is safety more than profit, is the right way to go. And I should point out Amtrak is the sign that we have already nationalized the railroads at at an earlier time in American history, or at least part of them. And many, many countries in Europe that call themselves and are called in the world capitalist countries have nationalized all kinds of things. The last time I was in France, the SNCF, which is their national railroad, is a government entity and has been for most of the of the last century. And that's not just in France, it's true in much of Europe and true for many other industries. Only in America have we gotten ourselves so addled in the brain that if someone says, gee, that's socialism, instead of laughing at them, which is what they deserve, and explaining, okay, good, you see then that the better solution is the socialist one and you've just endorsed it by your calling what I propose a way of making safety real, which private capitalism with all these commissions has so badly failed to do. here's a plan and that has a better chance of succeeding and if you call it socialist, I could care less. you could call it you know a yellow pineapple for all I care. I can make the case it's the better way to go.
0: Right, and you know, when we think about it also, again, you have trains running 9,000, 10,000 feet. And for everybody to remember, a mile is 5,280 feet. So if a train is like 10,560 feet, which many of these trains are, that's two miles long of freight cars with a crew of two or three or four people. And the freight companies are cutting between 2020 and 2022 cutting the number of rail workers by 33%, by one third. So even five workers on that train, too many, because why would a a capitalist train operator want to have to pay five whole workers' salaries or wages per week when you can pay three? I mean, it's this level of absurdity in terms of how to run society. But again, it's because All of these sort of platforms, which are obviously necessary for modern life, which are obviously not the invention of the current group of capitalists who are making money heads over, you know, tails owning these things. These are obviously just parts of civil society. Why you would not then say, let's have a freight crew of 30 workers, Like, what would be the problem with, instead of going from five to three, go from five to 30? Like, what would be the possible downside of that? I mean, we could have a full employment economy. We could nationalize industries, which are obviously belong to society and should belong to society. And at the same time, reap the benefit of obviously putting safety first, because the only reason you would reduce a work crew from five to three people for a train that's two miles long is to sort of make more and more money for a small group of investors. Anyway, the whole thing, Richard, and I will end with this, the rationality of socialism, the rationality of nationalizing, meaning instead of the railways belonging to a small group, a private group of capitalists, that it becomes public property, that it's organized and functions as a utility needed by society. The rationality of this
1: is so clear cut. Yeah, I would like to just add a final thought. Taking away jobs from railroad workers, cutting corners, not taking the safety inspections that you could have and should have done, not checking if if the ball bearings are overheating and all of the things that everybody knows in the business are required to really have safety. This is an attack on those people in that town that are now with their dead animals and their sicknesses and their compromised value of the town, of the houses in the town. This is a terrible disaster for tens of thousands of people, if you take into account the communities around there, etc. This is out, this is an attack on the safety of the working people of this country undertaken to make more profits for the shareholders and big executives. A tiny number of people benefit at the cost of the mass of people. And I want to end by saying something similar is going on this week in France. The government there, captured by their industries every bit as much as the government in this country is, has tried to attack the working class in another way. It wants to Raise the retirement age for getting your pension from the current 62 years, won by the working class, way better than what we offer the American working class, by the way, to raise it to 64 years of age. That deprives every worker of two years of paid retirement. It just takes it away with a lot of gobbledygook about the national economy. Well, you know why? So that the corporations and the rich don't have to pay the taxes that are needed to pay off the retirement benefits to the people between ages 62 and 64. Again, the same thing. Help the rich make them even richer at the expense of literally depriving the working class, in this case, not of safety, that's what we did in in Palestine, Ohio, but in in this case of a pension you have worked all your life for, and that was written into law. But the difference is, here we bemoan it. You and I are discussing it. We're critical. In France, today, yesterday, tomorrow is a general strike tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of French workers, and in the millions, by the time the strike is over, are in the streets saying, you're not going to get away with this. This country's economy is going to come to a grinding halt before we let you, the rich minority, rip us off to become even richer than you already are. Shame on you. We won't allow it. Until you do that kind of action, You won't succeed. Several presidents of France over the last decades have tried to do what President Macron is trying to do now with the pensions. Every single effort failed because every single effort was responded to by a unified working class, which reminded everyone in France, if we don't go to work, everything stops.
0: All right, we're going to leave it right there. Richard Wolff, today, Wednesday... March 8th, International Women's Day. Richard, I'm also noticing that you are speaking this evening between 7.30 and 9 p.m. in a forum called Global Capitalism. Real quick, if people are in the New York area or can join online, can you just talk real quick about
1: what that event is? Yes, it's every other month. I give a kind of an update I look around and I either look at the Ukrainian war or, in this case, the coming together of four different challenges to the capitalist system. One coming out of the working class in this country, one coming from France in the action of the general strike, one coming from the growing tensions between the United States and China. Every other month I do it. It's always on a Wednesday evening. If you want the details, both on the one on March 8th and on each of the two months, best thing, go to our website, democracyatwork.info. That's all one word, democracyatwork.info. And all the details on how you can join are there for you.
0: All right. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. The author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. that's rdwolf You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the Ukraine war one year later. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News.